leading a startup team, whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or getting a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture, from getting those first business cards and stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo. To learn how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all of these startup essentials and more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. By the time signs of Alzheimer's disease manifest in the form of memory problems, behavioral changes, or loss of executive function, years of irreversible damage to the brain has already occurred. In the latest report from the Alzheimer's Association, the organization looks at the potential for biomarkers to diagnose the disease at its earliest appearance and allow for treatments to hold the disease in check. We spoke to Heather Snyder. Senior Director of Medical and Scientific Operations for the Alzheimer's Association, about the report, where efforts to validate biomarkers of early-stage Alzheimer's disease stand, and why this holds the potential to change the way Alzheimer's is viewed and treated, much in the way diagnostic tools have turned heart disease into a chronic condition. Heather, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. In the Alzheimer Association's annual report on the facts and figures relating to Alzheimer's disease, the association also issued a special report focused on the growing importance of biomarkers, which we're going to talk about today. But perhaps we can begin with some of the basic numbers. How big a problem is Alzheimer's today and, and what's the impact on the healthcare system? Yeah, no, we, we know that Alzheimer's disease is a, has a tremendous impact in uh, in the United States, but also globally. In the United States today, we know that there are over 5.5 million Americans that are living with this disease, 5.3 million over the age of 65, and approximately 60% of those are women. So we also know that the impact um, is in communities all across the country. Uh, and it's, it, uh, unfortunately, Alzheimer's disease um, can affect anybody with a brain. That's, that's really the biggest risk factor that we all have. When you look at just the cost of the disease, for the first time, the total uh, uh, the the, uh, the total costs associated with this disease providing care for those with Alzheimer's and other dementias has surpassed a quarter of a trillion dollars, bringing us to about two hundred and fifty nine billion dollars a year. So just not just the impact it has on families, but the economic impact that it has on our society, on our and on our healthcare system is absolutely. Uh, phenomenal. We still see very big late-stage clinical trial failures of new therapies suggesting that the disease may not be as well understood as we think. How well do we understand the causes, the development, and the progression of the disease today? Yeah, great question. And, and you know, you can imagine our brain is a very complex organ, and um, it's, it's incredibly well protected within our bodies. So it's not um, it, it's been a challenge in the field to understand what's happening in a living person 
as we age, right? Or, or just, you know, whether it's um, uh, from birth and uh, until death. Uh, and when you think about disease and what's going wrong in disease, that's been even more challenging to understand. We know what's present at the scene of the crime, if you will, at the end stages. We know that you have the amyloid plaques, the clumps of, of beta amyloid between the brain cells, and we have the tau tangles, which are the clumps of proteins within the brain cells. Um, and, and so we know that those are present, and we know that there's other other brain changes that we can we we can also see in people with Alzheimer's disease. Um, and as the field, as both technologies have developed, but also as our understanding of the basic underlying biology, we've been able to slowly move back in time to better understand the disease. There's still a lot of unanswered questions. A big challenge has been our lack of funding uh, in being able to address some of those questions. We've seen very recently, especially in the United States, with the uh, National Alzheimer's Project Act that was passed into law in 2011 and, and resulted in the first plan to address all national plan to address Alzheimer's in 2012. Since that time, we've seen some incremental increases in funding, and in particular, a historic increase in funding in uh, December of 2015, which nearly doubled the NIH budget uh, for Alzheimer's disease research. But that's been a challenge in, in answering some of those questions. We now know that the underlying disease starts, or the biology is at least changing, a decade or more before someone has the memory changes. And so that gives us an opportunity to identify people who are at greatest risk, identify those biological changes at an earlier time point, and potentially intervene to stop or slow the progression of the disease. Well, what is the state of treatment today? Are there therapies to slow progression, to halt progression, or are there anything that we think can reverse the disease itself? As of today, as, as Alzheimer's disease is the sixth leading cause of death in the United States, we, uh, we, we also know it's the only cause of death in the top 10 in America that we cannot prevent, cure, or slow. So there, there are symptomatic treatments, um, are, are what we call them, and meaning that they treat the symptoms of the individual. Um, there have been five, or I think six now, um, approved treatments by the Food and Drug Administration in the United States. Again, they're symptomatic. Uh, benefiting the individual, improving the quality of life, um, helping maintain function a little bit longer. Um, but essentially, they're masking the underlying changes that are still happening in that individual uh, as they progress. We absolutely need something. We need interventions that will stop or slow the progression, whether we're talking medications, lifestyle, combinations of those factors uh, to get ahead of this disease before our loved ones are losing their memories. A moment ago, you talked about the the biological changes that begin well before the the disease manifests itself. There, there's a belief that we might have much greater success in treating Alzheimer's if we can identify the disease before it gets to that point where the disease manifests itself in memory loss or behavioral changes or decline of executive function. Mm -hmm. What do we know about those biological changes that may occur relative to recognizable symptoms? Yeah. So, I mean, think about heart disease, right? So we know that if you treat someone after they've had a heart attack or after they have a stroke, the impact of that treatment may not be as beneficial as if you get them ahead of time before, uh, before the underlying biology has changed to the point where they're having a heart, where they have a heart attack or stroke. And it's that same kind of idea with Alzheimer's disease. I mentioned the beta amyloid plaques or the tau tangles that we know are present in their brains. And there's been a lot of work to develop technologies and tools to measure those uh, those particular proteins in a living individual. So whether you're talking about taking a picture of the brain via PET imaging uh, and seeing elevated levels of those particular 
um, uh, brain changes or whether you're talking about our brains fit in a fluid, uh, the cerebral spinal fluid, and, and maybe through a lumbar puncture or a spinal tap, you're able to also take a glimpse as to what's happening in the brain. And, and those are probably the most advanced, but there's also a lot of work going on in terms of developing a blood test or a saliva test or something with that low-cost, non-invasive tool that you could identify who should go on for that further follow-up, who should have those more invasive tests. Again, thinking about heart disease, if you have a cholesterol test or you have high blood pressure, there are things that your physician or your healthcare provider might recommend that take you into a more, in, a, a more invasive um, look at what might be going on inside. And then that, that's really where then the treatment um, uh, intervention comes from. It's that same kind of idea as we think about all. The diagnostic criteria for Alzheimer's was instituted in 1984. What, what was the criteria that was established then for diagnosing the disease? So in 1994, the National Institute of Neurological and Communicative Disorders and Stroke, so a nice short name, NINCDS, worked with the Alzheimer's Association, our full incorporated name, the Alzheimer's Disease and Related Disorders Association, to establish what's known in the field as the NINCDS ADRDA. Um, and that really defined Alzheimer's disease based on the clinical symptoms that an individual experiences. So that's those changes in memory, thinking, and reasoning that a person experiences. Um, and it, it is made the assumption that uh, um, uh, it made the assumption that um, that the clinical symptoms, the changes in memory, thinking, and reasoning, match to the underlying biology changes. Um, and in fact, today we know that that's not totally the case. We know that there's a percentage of people that have the clinical symptoms that don't have those biological changes. And there are people that have those biological changes, but might not necessarily, um, uh, uh, might not be identified because of the severity of their clinical symptoms at that point in time. So what we might call mild cognitive impairment due to Alzheimer's. Well, the Alzheimer's Association, along with the National Association on Aging, have called for new guidelines for diagnosing the disease using validated biomarkers either in the blood, the spinal fluid, or through imaging. Where are we in the search for validated biomarkers? So in, in 2011, the association working with NIA, uh, National Institute on Aging, published the revised guidelines uh, for diagnosis, and it incorporated biomarkers um, into, that, uh, into that criteria or into those guidelines. However, it didn't really set a hierarchy, if you will, in terms of um, the order of it, uh, the order that we might see those biological changes. That was still something that was the field was um, was asking, and there still are some of those questions that the field are asking. But as we look forward now, um, six years from that point in time, we do know that there's a greater understanding of some of the progression of changes, and that, for instance, um, studies suggest that changes in beta amyloid um, might precede memory changes, whereas changes in the tau protein seem to, or elevated um, levels of the tau protein in the brain, seems to um, uh, uh, correlate or associate with changes in memory. And so understanding that timeline has been really important to then identifying what the appropriate uh, biological measure might be. And there's, there's probably others that we haven't developed at this point in time. Amyloid imaging is probably the, the most advanced uh, in terms of its, its use in the clinic and its availability. However, at this point in time, it's not a diagnostic for Alzheimer's disease. It's, a, uh, it's what we call a rule-out diagnostic because we know that if you have amyloid in your brain, you might have Alzheimer's disease dementia or Alzheimer's dementia. But if you don't have Alzheimer's 
uh, if you don't have the beta amyloid in your brain, then there's another cause to the clinical symptoms that an individual might be experiencing. For instance, um, it, it could be another cause of dementia. It could be uh, hormonal changes or, or nutritional imbalance or something else that's causing that the clinical symptoms that the individual is experiencing. Incorporating validated biomarkers into a diagnostic criteria might have two effects. It might, on one hand, eliminate from the count people who have other forms of dementia driven by other causes who may now be misdiagnosed as having Alzheimer's. At the same time, though, it, it could swell the count by identifying pre-symptomatic people with advancing disease. A any sense what the impact would be? No, I mean, I think that's, that's really part of what the special report lays out is that this is something we need to be, we need to know, we need to be precise in when we're thinking about and understanding the burden of Alzheimer's disease in our society and on individuals and families across the country and around the world, right? So we, we have to understand that kind of information. Um, and, and it also gives you insight into being able to identify people that are, are um, eligible for some of these studies that are uh, initiating, that are looking to say, who has the biological changes but doesn't yet have the memory changes and we can intervene at an earlier time point? How can we change the trajectory of this disease at the earliest time point from when we can identify the underlying changes? So there's a lot of opportunity when we're thinking about um, where the field is going and, and what the potential might be. In terms of the actual numbers, this is really, that, that's where the research needs to go and, and um, that's certainly a, a, a direction that the field is thinking about. Is there any thought that the absence of having these kinds of diagnostic tools may have also contributed to clinical trial failures because people that drugs may not have worked on may have been misdiagnosed as having Alzheimer's disease? So we do know that some of the large phase three trials, when they've done sub-studies, that, you know, for instance, in testing beta amyloid protein um, or target, uh, testing drugs that target the beta amyloid protein, um, in some studies at the end of those trials, they've suggested anywhere from 20 to 30 percent of participants didn't have the elevated beta amyloid in their brains. And so we've seen that with um, a, a few of, of the larger trials that have um, incorporated that um, those tools in their um, analysis. What we're now seeing are, are, are studies that are actually using these, these types of biological measures as they're enrolling potential participants. Um, we've seen one phase three report out uh, that, that used um, uh, measures of elevated amyloid, and that was the Expedition 3 trial from Eli Lilly. Uh, and then we've seen one phase uh, 1B trial uh, report out where they used the elevated uh, beta amyloid from using PET imaging, and that was the uh, aducanumab trial from Biogen. So we are seeing these types of studies go forward now where they are using these biological tools and technologies uh, to confirm the underlying brain change of, and in particular, what they're targeting with their um, uh, ex experimental drugs. There was a, a national plan put into place to combat Alzheimer's in, in 2011. That set as a goal is having an effective way to treat or prevent the disease by 2025. How do validated biomarkers fit into that goal? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a parallel track, right? So we know that we need to have effective treatments that are um, able to stop or slow the progression of the disease, but we also know that we need to identify people that are um, uh, living with this disease. And then we also know we need to identify people who are at the greatest risk for developing this disease. So um, biomarkers are an essential part of that, whether you're talking about identifying the, the participant population, the potential volunteers for a clinical trial, whether you're talking about um, diagnosis and being accurate in the diagnosis. Um, one of the things that the association has 
um, uh, has led with uh, the American College of Radiology is something called the IDEA study, which is looking at uh, the use of the, the beta amyloid PET imaging and, and how it can impact care, uh, care planning for individuals, having an accurate diagnosis. How does that impact the individual? And so uh, both in their care, their care planning and their future planning, um, as, as well as their medical um, uh, outcomes downstream. And so understanding those kinds of um, the impact of those types of um, um, how those technologies impact uh, those decisions, I think, will also give us some new insight about being able to better manage the disease in people that are living with it. But ultimately, all of these steps are necessary to get us to that place of being able to prevent or effectively treat Alzheimer's by 2025. One of the most compelling thoughts in the report is a suggestion that having these types of biomarkers will really transform the way we think about Alzheimer's disease. It suggests that validated biomarkers could optimize therapeutic strategies and, and lead us to think of Alzheimer's as no longer a disease with a, an irrevocable cognitive and functional decline ending in death, but a, a chronic disease. Can, can you expand on that? Again, I think that the best way to think about it is think about other diseases we're much more comfortable talking about, right? As we think about heart disease or as we think about cancer even. Um, you know, rarely, although the, it, it certainly happens, but um, many people are diagnosed with cancer before they have symptoms. Um, they, it's, it's usually a, there's a biological change that's happening and we're able to intervene or, or same thing with heart disease. There might be um, uh, underlying bio, biological changes and then you're able to intervene with medication or lifestyle or combination of those factors. And as a society, we've significantly reduced heart attacks and strokes uh, as well as death due to those diseases. Um, it's that same kind of idea that if we can understand the underlying biological changes, we can have the tools that can measure those changes at the earliest time point, we can intervene at the earliest time point. It might be with medication, it might be with lifestyle interventions, it might be with a combination thereof, uh, and, and change the trajectory of this disease. Maybe it's slowing or stopping the, the progression of the disease. Um, ultimately, though, we all want to be able to live um, our lives out with, with our memories intact um, uh, throughout our lives. Ultimately, you hopeful we'll have a, a blood test one day that might detect the disease early in development? And if so, how long away might that be? There's certainly a lot of work going on to uh, develop that kind of low-cost, you know, non-invasive tool or technology that could be used um, in offices all around the country and all around the world, actually. Um, there's a lot that's been in development. I think we've seen uh, in the last four or five years, we've really seen a, um, an expansion of our understanding of some of the different uh, uh, blood-based biomarkers. Um, one of their challenges has been then validating in, in large or in diverse populations. But we know that there's a handful of, of groups that are, um, are continuing to move that forward, and it is something that we are actively watching. I think the timeline is still... Um, a little bit unsure. I think that some of that's going to depend on how they hold up, um, how these, these tools um, hold up as they continue to go forward in their development. But it is absolutely something that has made significant progress in the, in the last five years. Um, and where it will be in the next five years, I think we, we don't quite know. Heather Snyder, Senior Director of Medical and Scientific Operations for the Alzheimer's Association and one of the authors of this special report. Heather, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, 
Subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.